This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Slate's Working Podcast is brought to you by Braintree. Looking to set up payments for your business? Braintree gives your app or website a payment solution that accepts just about every payment method with one simple integration. Plus, we'll give you your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free. To learn more, visit braintreepayments.com slash working. And by Citrix GoToMeeting. When meetings matter, millions choose GoToMeeting. Hold a meeting with anyone from the convenience of your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Try it free for 30 days by visiting gotomeeting.com and clicking the Try It Free button. That's gotomeeting.com. Try it free. Welcome to Working, Slate's podcast about what people do all day. I'm Laura Anderson, a writer and editor for Slate. On today's episode, we talk with someone who literally spends all day with animals. What's your name and what do you do? My name is Victoria Wells. I'm the Senior Manager of Behavior and Training at the ASPCA, and I work primarily with the abuse and neglect cases that are brought in by the NYPD. And so walk me through a typical day in your life. Like, what's the first thing that you do when you get to the office, which I guess is not really an office so much as an animal rescue center, but talk me right. through that. The first thing I do in the morning is I do go to my office, and I have a staff of three here at the 92nd Street facility. And what we do is we go through an inventory of the animals that we care for here. We divide them up and we say, okay, this is who we have to work with today and we start working with them immediately. We have about 25 dogs in this particular building Mm -hmm. that we have to work with to modify their behavior. They are victims of abuse and neglect, and we work with them on a daily basis to try to help them overcome any problems that they have acquired because of what they've gone through. The problems are so vast and so varied that It really depends upon what the dog needs. But all day long, I am working with dogs from the time I get in until the time I leave. Mm -hmm. Can you give me an example of a kind of behavioral problem that you will identify in a dog that's been neglected or abused, and then what your strategy is to try to help that dog overcome the behavior? Sure. I would say the most prevalent behavior problem that we see because of abuse or neglect is a fear-based behavior issue. Whether the behavior is a defensive behavior where the dogs are actually barking at you because they're scared of you, or whether the dog is retreating, it's mostly fear-based. I would say we have a lot of under-socialized dogs that we need to have them learn to trust people because they have absolutely no trust in people. Mm -hmm. And it's understandable. We have a lot of dogs come from very 
isolated situations where they're kept in basements and backyards for the majority of their lives from the time that they're puppies to the time that they're adults. So our job is to gain their trust. And it's very slow going. So they've had owners in the past who have either just like completely left them alone or have maybe physically abused them. Mm -hmm. And so you're basically dealing with animals that have never had like a, a friendly relationship with a human being. Exactly. So we're starting off at square one with these dogs. So let's say I'm working with the dog. The NYPD brings them in. Mm -hmm. just, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but just to ask, like, how does the NYPD uh, identify these animals and then determine that they've that they've been abused or neglected and that they need to be taken out of the control of their owner? Well, somebody will call the, the complaint in. They'll go and investigate it, and depe depending upon the evidence that they find, they'll seize the dog. So it's, it, you know, it depends upon what they find as far as evidence that would prove that they needed to take the dog out of that situation. But once they, they come here, the dogs sometimes they are in horrible condition, just horrible, and it really breaks your heart. But we start working with them immediately, you know, even if they can barely walk, we have to get to them because this is the first exposure to strangers that they've ever had, and we want it to be a pleasant one. Mm -hmm. So during the course of my day, you know, I'll go and approach a dog who's terrified, and I'll crack the door open of their kennel. I'll try to coax them out with treats. A lot of times it doesn't work, you know, because scared dogs won't take food from you. So I might have to bring another dog to their kennel because if they don't, if they're not reinforced by the presence of people, sometimes they'll be more interested in dogs. So we use a lot of helper dogs in a treatment. And there. so these dogs, the helper dogs, are dogs that are normal, for lack of a better term, and have or have or socialized. They're well socialized dogs. Yeah, okay. they're usually very friendly towards dogs and people. Mm -hmm. uh, because if if a dog is petrified at the sight of a person or the thought of coming near a person. The helper dog is a dog that is going to be friendly towards a person, and that terrified dog is going to say, hey, that, that, that dog that over there is approaching that person. Maybe I should do it too. Mm -hmm. So we use a lot of neutral dogs in our treatments that will approach a person readily, and the terrified, neglected dog follows suit, and that is something we use a lot and have great success with. And so then after that, I mean, I, I'm assuming that the training doesn't end there. You're, you're sort of trying to help the dog acclimate to human contact. So what happens next? Let's, let's say that this is the treatment we're using. The dog won't come out when you try to coax them out with treats or with anything else. We've got, gotten them out of the kennel by walking a dog up to their kennel. Now they have began to approach us. They've walked out of their kennel. We've been able to leash them up. We'll take them to a training room, having followed this dog because it's piqued their interest and they found something that they actually are reinforced by, the sight of another dog. So once we get them in a training room, we have a number of training rooms within this particular facility, and that's where we do the majority of our work. It's a calm, quiet area. And if we have these nervous dogs, which I said the majority of our dogs are pretty nervous that come in through abuse and neglect cases, we bring them to quiet areas. So we have them in the training room. And what we try to do is walk them around at their own pace. Let them get used to a new environment, new sights, smells, sounds. You have to understand they've never been out of a basement or a backyard you know, like an abandoned lot. <laughs> so everything is new and terrifying to them. So we get them used to things very gradually. And at this point, we see if they take treats. 
Now they're a little bit more comfortable. There's a, a dog around them. They're walking around and we see if maybe treats will be more reinforcing to them. We need currency when we're working with this with these dogs, something that we can use as reinforcement. And what specifically are you training them to do? Is the usual like sit and stay? No, none of that. My job is not as a trainer. My job is to change their emotional state. I don't want them to do anything except be happy and well-adjusted. So is their response usually when they come in before Mm -hmm. they've started training or behavioral conditioning? is their response usually aggressive? Do they try to attack you? Or is it, do they cower in the corner? Is, or is there a huge variety? Of All of the above. Yeah. You know, it really depends. Um, some dogs are very defensive when they come in. And they will try to bite me, you mm-hmm. know. It's out of fear. A lot of dogs have huge issues with walking outside, with walking on different surfaces other than that in which they've lived on all of their lives, like say a dog has lived out in the backyard and has only experienced living on dirt. If you try to take them on cement, they'll jump out of, you know, they jump out of their skin because it's so different. Whatever the dog's problem is, we try to create a positive association with whatever scares them. So let's say men, they've never experienced a man in their life. What we do is we we expose them to men, a man, for a very short period of time. But when that man is present, we give them the most reinforcing thing that is going to change their opinion about the man. Mm -hmm. So a man comes out and we start feeding them the most valuable food that we can find. The man goes away and we stop feeding them. The man comes back, we start feeding him. The man goes away, the food goes away. Mm -hmm. So that is one way we can change their emotional response. This episode of Working is brought to you by Braintree, code for easy mobile payments. Maybe you're working on the next Uber, Airbnb, or GitHub. Then why not use the same simple payment solution that helped them become what they are today? Braintree gives you a full-stack payment solution, support for all payment types your customers might want. Start accepting Android Pay, Apple Pay, PayPal, Bitcoin, Venmo, Cards, and whatever's next, all with a single integration across all platforms with superior fraud protection, customer service, and fast payouts. To check it out for yourself, visit BraintreePayments.com working. So can you tell me more about how you determine when an animal is ready to be placed into a home and how you make that determination? Well, when a dog is legally released, their case has been resolved and they've gone through court, the court system, and we put them through an evaluation. Actually, during their time here, we put them through a number of, evalu- of evaluations, but they get their final assessment to determine have their problems resolved? If so, what would be the best home for them to be placed in? So the assessments have a number of subtests. The tests determine how do they feel about being handled? How do they feel about casual touch and interaction? What is their response when a child approaches them? We don't have real children to work with here, but we do have uh, toddler dolls that we use. And the final test is how do they feel about dogs? What is their response? They have problems with dogs. You know, if they're a little defensive, that's fine. But if they're predatory, we really have to work on that issue. But all of those things together bring us to a general profile. You know, they enable us to put together this snapshot, this picture of the dog, and therefore be able to match them up with the right home. Do you have to 
convince people that these dogs are safe to be adopted. Are people afraid that a a dog with a background of being neglected or abused is going to be inappropriate for their homes? No, actually, we have, we put out a survey uh, recently when people have come in to adopt out animals just because we wanted to see if it affected them in any way, whether it was, it made their choice easier or more difficult. It didn't affect them either way. So as long so people are more concerned about how the dog acts and how they feel about the dog when they're actually interacting with the dog than yeah. they are about where the dog came from. They yeah, they really want a like an affiliative dog, one that's going to pay attention to them. That seems to be the that's what makes them want to adopt a dog. What surprised you the most when you were just starting out in training and you were learning from these uh, PhDs and other animal behavior specialists? What surprised you about animal behavior that you hadn't realized before? That it's all common sense and everything that we apply to human behavior can be applied to animal behavior. If you want your child to repeat a positive behavior, something that is beneficial for them that you want to see happen again, you have to reinforce them favorably. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing that applies. Why don't you also train other types of animals here? Is it because other animals don't have the same uh, dangerous behavioral problems that dogs have, or is it because they require a separate, specialized kind of attention when they do have behavioral problems? Do you mean like um, like um, exotic animals? Or like cats? Oh, we do. Oh, you do? Oh, yeah. Okay. There are as many abused and neglected cats as there are dogs. Mm-hmm. I used to be in charge of working with the neglect and abuse, the feline abuse cases as well, but I couldn't handle it. There's too many coming in. You know, there's only so many animals I can work with in a day. So we have people who work with the feline abuse and neglect cases as well as, you know, the dogs. Are cats the same way where you introduce a helper animal and that helps them adjust? Occasionally. They've had to have uh, been around other cats a lot, though. It really depends upon their situation. They do really well if they come from hoarding situations and they've always been around cats and they're, they're super um, under-socialized if you bring in a helper cat because they're not, they're not familiar with people so much, but they are familiar with other cats. So are these helper animals, uh, do they stay at the shelter for long periods of time or are they just dogs that happen to be here and happen to have the behavioral traits that you're looking for? Um, who you uh, utilize in your training while they're waiting to be adopted? Oh, they, they just happen to be here at the time when we need them. And we have so many dogs here that there's bound to be a dog that possesses all those characteristics that help us out. And if we don't have a dog that's here at that point that has wonderful social skills with dogs and people, we use fake dogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what is a fake dog? We have dogs that are realistic-looking stuffed dogs. They're just as large as, like, a large breed dog, and they look very realistic. We try to walk them sort of like a marionette, and believe it or not, dogs buy it. They think they're real. Mm -hmm. So if we have a dog that's really fearful, we can't find a helper dog, but we need it to follow a dog maybe out the door, we get one of our helper fake dogs. Wow. Do you have them in different breeds? Oh, yeah. (laughs) We've got every breed to suit your need. We've got a Labrador, a Rottweiler. We've got a Beagle and a Chihuahua. We've got all sizes and shapes. Is it helpful for dogs when they're just starting to be socialized to be exposed to a dog of the same breed, either a dog or a fake dog of the same breed, or does it not matter so much? 
it helps if they have been exposed to only that breed. Like, say a dog comes in from a pit bull fighting ring and they're kenneled around dogs that look like them. They've probably never seen a dog other than another pit bull. We typically use a dog that is very similar in appearance to them. So pit bull fighting rings, that sounds terrible. These are basically dogs that are uh, that have been trained to fight other dogs. Trained and not trained. Sometimes they're just held in uh, an environment in the hopes that they could fight with other dogs. It's such a sad situation because when they bust these pit bull rings, so many innocent dogs are seized. These dogs are kept in horrible, horrible like living situations. They're kept in darkness and crates and basements for their entire lives. And they are so sweet. When they are seized and they come and they're liberated from these crates, they're like, ah, you know, you can tell they know you've saved them from like this hellish situation. Have you seen um, people's reaction to pit bulls being different from their reaction to other breeds? And do you think that there's any reason for that? Sometimes I have. I think anybody who forms an opinion prior to meeting a dog or people, it's just sort of discrimination. I know that there's a new trend though, and people are actually adopting pit bulls because they want to break that stigma. I live in an area where, I mean, I hate to use this term because I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's peace. The hipsters, the hipsters. <laughs> I think it's okay to say. Yeah, okay. <laughs> there, I live in Bushwick, uh-huh. and everybody's adopting pit bulls. Because they want to break the stigma, and they realize that these dogs are wonderful. They make wonderful pets. So it's not true what they say, or what some people have said. I have worked here for, as I said, I've worked here for over 15 years. I keep saying that. But... And I primarily work with pit bulls. I'm sitting here to talk to you today. It's not like anything's ever happened to me. They're just lovely dogs. This week's episode of Working is also brought to you by Citrix GoToMeeting. Think about the time, money, and hassle it takes to hold a meeting. You have to get a bunch of people into the same room or on the same phone line. Usually there's like five minutes of trying to get everyone all in the same page so that you can actually start talking. So my recommendation is to meet your clients and coworkers online with Citrix GoToMeeting. It's a smarter way to meet. With GoToMeeting, you can meet from any computer, tablet, or smartphone without having to worry about travel expenses or traffic. There's no sign-ups. There's no speed bumps. You can just turn on your webcam, and with HD quality, it's like being in the same room. Because with GoToMeeting, everyone sees what you're seeing, so your team can get on the same page and get going. To sign up for GoToMeeting, you can try it free for 30 days. You have nothing to lose. You just visit GoToMeeting.com and click the Try It Free button. Do it now and have your first meeting up and running in minutes. That's gotomeeting.com for your free 30-day trial. Have you ever encountered an animal that is impossible to train and just does not respond to the to the incentives that you're giving and, and the attempts to create positive associations? I sure have. It's rare because there's something reinforcing out there if you're just creative enough and you just investigate deeply enough to find out what's reinforcing to, the, to a dog. But there are dogs that have been so badly abused and neglected that nothing is reinforcing to them. If a dog has been in a, neglect, a neglectful situation from the time they were a puppy until the time they were six years old, they don't know anything but being treated poorly, and that's it. They missed out on that 
socialization period in, in their lives when they need to experience people, different things, different environments, and that window of opportunity closes where they're not receptive to it anymore and there's nothing that you can do. It's really unfortunate, but it happens. How long do you keep trying before you decide that this dog is just not receptive to training? Months and months, you know. Months and months. It's, uh, it really depends upon the severity of the abuse and the neglect that determines the severity of the problem and how long it's going to take to fix it. No behavior problem goes away overnight. And if people think that that's the case, they're being misled. It's like human behavior issues. If you experience something during your childhood, it's not going to go away overnight. You can't see a therapist once and have it go away, you know. If you can't make a dent in their behavior issue, what happens to those dogs? We find we try to find alternative placement. We have what, what kind of alternative placement? If the dog's a specific breed, a lot of times there's breed rescues. So if our environment here is not conducive to their behavioral health, to improving their behavioral health, sometimes we'll send the dogs to behavior fosters to sort of track their progress. This is as nice as this place is. We provide them with everything enriching that we could possibly, you know, give them. It's still a shelter. And if all else fails, if the dog is so aggressive that it's not safe to place this dog, and the end result, if they bite somebody's child, attack somebody's child, well, you have to think. Is this going to result in another cycle of abuse? If you let that dog out there, they attack somebody, what's, what's that person going to do to the dog? Mm-hmm. You have to be aware of that. The end result is that we can't, put, we can't adopt them out. That's rare, but it happens. And so in a case like that, do you keep them or, or do you euthanize we them? Have to, we have to euthanize them. But as I said, it's rare, but it does happen. Has training animals and working so closely to change the behavior of animals. Change the way you think about people at all? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I am, uh, <laughs> that's interesting that you say that. Working here and working with this specific population of dogs absolutely has changed the way I approach people and think about people and think about myself. These dogs have been through so much and if they can be resilient and bounce back from a horrible situation and a hellish existence, then I'm not going to complain or sweat the little stuff, you know. I'm not going to complain about things that I can change myself. I'm less tolerant when people complain about things that they can change themselves. For these dogs, they can't change their situation. It's up to us to change it for them. Do you think people have misconceptions about what it is that you do or what it is that ASPCA does that you think should be corrected? think so. I just don't think they know that we do as much as we do. We put a lot into these dogs. Um, we all work here because we care deeply for them. We provide everything we possibly can because we know what they've been through. And we know that they can't speak for themselves. And we just want them to know that there is a group of people that want to speak for them. And want to speak up for them. Thanks for listening to this episode of Working. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this podcast. You can email us at working at slate.com. And you can listen to our first four seasons at slate.com slash working. 
This episode was produced by Jason DeLeon. Our senior producer is Mike Fuolo, and our executive producer is Andy Bowers. I'm Laura Anderson. See you next time on Working. <laughs>